Welcome to the Cloud Accounting Podcast, a show for accountants using technology to make their jobs more strategic and impactful. I'm Blake Oliver. And I'm David Leary. Hey, Blake. We also just jump in here because I think there's uh, some big news and I think news we want to talk about a lot. So I'll start with a short one. Yeah. Um, last week, we talked a little bit about uh, YubiKeys and how Google revealed that like um, all 85,000 employees were never fished successfully because they use these keys. Well, apparently the uh, General Accounting Office is recommending that the IRS allow taxpayers to authenticate using um, keys like that or using uh, biometric protocols. So that way... Um, they can support that so you as a as a payer could validate into the IRS that way instead of using pins or social security numbers or other authentication methods. So um, it could be an interesting thing for us to watch and keep an eye on, uh, especially you and if you're doing this for your client's behalf, right? You could have one, one, one hardware-based token or key that nobody else can file for those clients if they don't have, you know, have that key. So uh, yeah. just something to keep in mind and keep uh, watching for because the, the GO, GAO is uh, re- recommending that. That's fantastic. And for those who didn't listen to the podcast or aren't familiar with YubiKeys, they are these... Um, USB drive sized, they look like a key. Um, You plug them into your USB port on your laptop or your computer, and it provides uh, uh, authentication in addition to your password. So a super secure, like way more secure than text message type authentication. Actually, there's a a story about that this week. Uh, I don't know if you saw it, but um, Reddit got hacked. A bunch of user information from that site, uh, everything from 2007 and earlier, uh, was downloaded apparently by um, a hacker, and the way that they got in was they did a SIM hack. So they 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 basically spoofed someone's phone number, and Reddit internally was using text message authentication codes. So the authentication code went to the hacker, and they were able to get in. And uh, huge security breach because now all these people's usernames on Reddit, which a lot of people like to be anonymous on there, are now linked to potentially their emails. So a lot of people could be uh, exposed. We, we could do a whole separate podcast on just like cloud security, right? But I don't want to slip in. But I think even I saw some headline this week, um, LifeLock had a breach of some type. <laughs> like, so it just, it never ends. So all of our listeners just like start thinking about ways to level up your security with your cloud stuff. Yes. Yeah. Um, they just assume things are under attack and uh, I mean, your PCs back in the day were under attack as well. It was just different. Let's turn away from all that uh, negative security risk, uh, scary stuff that we talked about last week. Got it. And let's talk about some fun stuff, right? There was some big activity, M&A fundraising going on in the cloud accounting world. And the top story this week is that Gusto has raised $140 million dollars. Uh, of new venture capital. Um, the, this was a late-stage round, a Series C, led by T. Rowe Price Associates. MSD Capital was in there, too. Um, that's uh, Michael Dell, Dragoneer Investment Group, and Y Combinator's Continuity Fund involved. Um, also, their, their previous investors participated in the round. And for those who are not familiar with Gusto, it is really awesome, modern apparel uh, and HR and uh, I've been happy to be, uh, I, I, when I had my own firm, we we used Gusto for all of our, our payroll. It's great. Yeah, it's really exciting for that team. I mean, I met them way early on in this in this process, right, of them integrating with accounting systems and coming into our world and the QuickBooks world and cloud accounting in general. And they, um, back when it was uh, Zen Payroll. So, but it's what's amazing is like, they, they reached unicorn status. So those of you who aren't familiar with that, like you're, you have a billion dollar valuation, you've reached unicorn status, right? And I, they hit that like in December of 2015. That's when they had about billion dollar valuation. I think I saw this latest round, they have a $2 billion 
valuation. So there's not a lot of companies that are hitting that type of valuation status, which is pretty amazing. They are a double unicorn rainbow uh, cloud accounting startup. Double unicorn. And, uh, What's amazing too is, uh, I don't know if this is more now, but um, last time I heard, they were saying that they are processing 1% of all United States payroll is running through Gusto. Clearly a huge success story. Yeah. And, and they've come so far. I mean, I remember when I first met them and they were kind of the darlings of Silicon Valley. They did all the startups payrolls, mm-hmm. but you know, I taught them that like, well, we don't have a customer in Iowa yet. Right? Like they didn't, they didn't even support all the states. They basically just only did California. So yep. they've really come very, very far in a very short time, amount of time. It's a pretty amazing story. So moving on to more uh, activity, this time in the mergers and acquisitions area, M&A, Zero has acquired HubDoc. And HubDoc is a data capture solution. It's very popular with Zero users, very popular with QuickBooks users as well. Uh, very reminiscent of Intuit's purchase of T-Sheets last year and I haven't talked to anyone at zero about this, but I'm I'm sort of wondering if this was maybe a little tit for tat. Um, you know, hey, into it, you went and out and and got uh, T sheets into your portfolio. Now zero is going to go out and buy a HubDoc, and now all of those um, those HubDoc users that are on uh, QuickBooks are going to see a zero company under the HubDoc logo. It very well could be. I, I think you know, um, there's been history with Intuit and Zero, right? kind of duke it out and then but at the same time there's cooperation right and co- that, that competition's good for everybody a little bit um i think there's uh i, I think it's uh one of those things though they're open platforms right they have open apis right like going forward i don't see like it's a lot of there's been a lot of paranoia and comments over and over again in all of the facebook message groups and things like that people are like when's things going to get turned off and i think that paranoia probably was on the other side with like t-sheets as well right and i, I don't know i kind of view it as like thermal nuclear war right both sides have these uh missiles launched at each other nobody's gonna ever cut each other off just like nobody's gonna ever really launch those nuclear yeah. missiles you know that's a great that's a great analogy okay so it's uh zero and into it are the um united states and the soviet union <laughs> we won't say which is which and the uh, HubDoc and T-Sheets are satellite states that they control. So mutually assured, but, but I think, mutually assured destruction will, uh, will ensure that the ecosystems remain open. But I think a decade ago, 15 years ago, no way. Like there was no way these types of moves like this, would the platforms would stay open. Um, I, I think forever, every QuickBooks user that was also an ADP customer paid a penalty every week. They'd run payroll out of ADP. They'd have to save a file to their desktop, then upload that into QuickBooks desktop software, then do it again the next week. And hope to God they didn't like click on the wrong file and import that in incorrectly. But it was because both ADP and Intuit had kind of closed mindsets. Mm-hmm. Right? And as and as views matured, now ADP customers can very easily shove their data into QuickBooks or the, if they're using uh, Gusto for payroll, right? And so I think Companies now have a little bit more mature view of APIs and, and open collaboration and, and data movement back and forth. So I don't, I hopefully, you know, uh, like I said, 15 years ago, this is for sure could have been ugly, but I think everything, uh, people are going to play nice. We're open platforms. Yeah, I, I think so too. And um, some details about the transaction for those who are interested. Deal is valued at $70 million. Zero is going to pay the acquisition price for Updock in two stages, initially with a $60 million um, payment consisting of 35% cash and 65% zero equity. And then they're going to pay out the rest over 18 months. And uh, the transaction should be completed by the end of August 2018. So one thing I'd add to this, David, is I, I think the the big benefit for Intuit and for Zero in acquiring marketplace uh, add-ons and partners is 
the ability for them to build deep integrations with their software, which gives them you know a little bit of a leg up, right? To say, oh, we've got this deep integration with T Sheets that that QuickBooks Online now has, or Zero is going to have a deep integration with HubDoc, making document processing more easy. It's not going to be a game changer, I don't think, because again, if they remain open, you can use either application with any provider. Really, just I just see benefits out of this. Yeah, and I think there's a bigger story here that is some people can miss, um, and some of it's just you know maybe our accountants and bookkeepers and people listen to this podcast, and it's not part of their their knowledge of the history. But really, this is a history of platforms. This is what always happens, and you can go back to like Windows 3.11, and you would install the shareware on it to get like a toolbar. And, you, and a clock and like you'd, you'd install some version of a file explorer and you install these things, but they're all shareware. They're all add-ons to Windows 3.11. Then Windows 95 came out, right? And it did all of those. So all those things that developers built, either the operating system, the platform built themselves or they either acquired and integrated these add-ons. Now there was probably 700 different toolbars for Windows 3.11 and only one won the game or they all lost when Windows 95 just built a start button and a toolbar themselves. Right? And it's nice and it goes on. You can look at um, iPhone. iPhone came out, it just took pictures. Right? There's all these apps to do these filters and do crazy stuff to your photos, put stickers on them and that type of stuff. And now if you look at the default photo apps that are in Google's uh, Android devices or on Apple, Apple's phones, they do tons of stuff. And that used to all be third-party apps, right? And so it's a little bit of a, a double-edged sword because there's a couple of views you can take on this, right? As a, as a developer or an app, right? Uh, one view is you build this, you get acquired, you win, right? That's like a huge deal, right? Uh, another way to view it is the platform builds it and you lose, Right. Uh, another way to, to view it is that you're okay with it because even if the platform like acquires a competitor that they built themselves, because you're a third party developer and you're kind of solving issue problems with the platform before the platform knows they even have the problem, you'll just move on to solving another problem and just spin something else up really fast. Like that's the uh, that's kind of the uh, agility you have that the platform doesn't have. Um, and then the other option is sometimes your solution is just deeper and better. So. You know, a good example of this is QuickBooks Online does just enough inventory, right? Good enough inventory. But if you need have really huge inventory needs, you're going to go to a third-party app. And so that's one of those things. Maybe the um, the, the platform, uh, the iPhone is good example with the photos, right? The the photos are pretty good. The filters are good. The stickers are good. But if you discover, okay, I kind of like this. Can I do more? You're going to go find a third-party app that does that even better or deeper. Yeah. So it's really kind of a platform story here. This is not a, you know, I think people want to read into this more than they should, and it's it's a natural evolution of platforms. Makes sense. Makes sense. I've got one more uh, positive story. Um, Much better than last week. This story is about Stamply, which I had not even heard of a few months ago. Came across them. They are an invoice processing, invoice management platform on the accounts payable side, focusing mainly on mid-market companies, enterprise companies, so bigger, so a step up from, say, uh, um, you know, typical zero company, QuickBooks company, although I do believe they integrate with QBO. Um, they primarily integrate with uh, NetSuite, Intact, that sort of thing. They just raised, Stamply just raised $6.7 million in Series A funding to streamline invoice management. Uh, the round was led by Signal Fire. I like this story because it shows that this all this activity uh, of growth in the small business accounting uh, ecosystem, I think it's starting to happen at the uh, in the mid market. Um, 
you know, I'm a little biased given that you know, I work for a company that makes mid-market uh, software for mid-market companies. But um, I think that you know, we're going to see a ton of companies that are down in the small business world maybe move up into the mid-market or new companies start out. Definitely huge opportunity there. So you know, for any developers listening, there's a lot of companies, mid-sized companies. You know, think of the companies that are $10 million a year in revenue or up. They need a lot of help and they don't have a lot of solutions that work for them. And it's a different set of features that they need, and uh, they need to integrate with ERP systems and whatnot. So, you know, check out companies like Stamply, see what they're doing, and see if maybe um, there's something that you can help with. Yeah, I think this ecosystem it's starting to go from, you know, that self-employed, right, all the way up now, right. This this cloud accounting ecosystem is really starting to get bigger and getting into midsize. And we talked about this uh, three weeks ago with uh, Matt Paff out of Australia, right? This yes. mid-market type stuff. So like, it's definitely, and you're right, like this probably validates that theory, right? The fact that these guys are growing enough that they got some VC money because, and, and they're really, they, yes, they integrate with QuickBooks Online, but they're really focused on either that high-end quick, a large QuickBooks Online user or, you know, that, that next market up. So, so finishing up this week, uh, I saw a story in the Harvard Business Review about the open office, which uh, I don't know about you, but, I keep seeing articles complaining about the open office, talking about how the open office sucks and we need to move back to having our own offices, separate spaces to work, and the open office is distracting. And, uh, you know, frankly, uh, I'm a kind of a fan of the open office. That's what we've got here at Flowcast. Um, although I do have the benefit of also being able to work at home whenever I want or go into like a private room. Anyway, the, the stats in the article are interesting. Um, it says that the number of people who say that they can't concentrate at their desk has increased by 16% since 2008. And the number of those who don't have access to quiet places to do focused work is up by 13%. Meanwhile, people are finding it harder to control who has access to their personal information at work and elsewhere. In fact, 74% of those surveyed said they're more concerned about their privacy now than they were 10 years ago. So is this just a pendulum that swings one way and then another way? Are we going to go back to everybody having their own office and then, you know, in 20 years, swing back to the open office? Yeah, it does seem silly that way, right? Like there should be some sort of balance. Like like if you have an open office plan, you need to have some private touchdown rooms or places people can make phone calls. You probably need to have one or two recording studios. I mean, I don't know where you're at at Flowcast, but I'm in a closet at my house, right? <laughs> like, like, so I, I think like this is the that dilemma, right? I always feel like Starbucks should have a little conference booth. You could just go in and close the door. Um, because yeah, like, and then people would just be shooting up drugs at Starbucks in my town anyway. <laughs> Instead. But I mean, for, for me personally, like the open office floor plan is, is tough. Working yeah. at home sometimes tough. Like there's this constant fear. It almost sometimes it's a fear of interruption, right? Yeah. So I like to work at Starbucks because I know even though it's busy and there's noise, not nobody's going to come talk to me. Nobody's going to interrupt me, and, and I move, and I'm able to push through that fear of interruption, which I think sometimes is worse than being interrupted. But like yeah. I'm gonna, I don't want to start this yet because somebody's just going to come bother me. Well, it's tough because you want the right amount of stimulation, but you don't want too mm -hmm. much stimulation, right? If everybody is in their own office with the doors closed, then like, well, why do you all come to the office, right? If you're not collaborating, and then if you're all out in a big space and everybody's talking and it's very distracting, you can't actually get work done, right? So, really hard to find that balance. I don't have, I, I guess, well, here's my solution. Uh, it's, I think the open office is here to stay. And that's simply because in most big cities, real estate prices are so high that it's, it's impractical cheap. at yeah. this point, right? It's, it's, if you're a startup, 
if you're any company these days and you're moving into a new office space, it is so much cheaper to cram a bunch of people in desks and not have them have their own office. And it's a lot more flexible, right? Because um, you just add a desk. You don't have to build an office uh, when you hire somebody. So I don't, I don't think that's going away. But um, I think what will change is that like when people need to focus, they'll end up just working at home. And the actual amount of time that people spend in the office will decrease. So, like my if if, if I were starting my own firm again, like my ideal situation would be, uh, you have to be at the office say like three or four days a week between ten and two, but the rest of the time you can work wherever you want, however you want. And I think it's it's the perfect benefit of not having too much commuting time. Being able to go focus on your own when you need to, not having too many people in the office all at once because if everyone's there at the same time, it's like way too crowded. Like I don't know. What do you think, David? I, I think it's a dilemma that which which I get the logic behind, right? If I'm if I'm an office manager, I own a company, and I'm I'm probably in my brain saying, why am I going to invest in more than a desk? I spend money on office when you're working at home. This doesn't make any sense, right? So like it, I, I understand it's just a dilemma, I, I, and I don't yeah. I, and. And I think it's a personal thing. People have to figure out how what, how to be productive on their own, right? And it's just I think the open office is difficult for a lot of people. Yeah, I think that's the the, the trouble. And, and and like you said, the solution is to let people work from home when they need to focus. And to tie this back to cloud technology, cloud accounting technology, if you implement those tools, then it makes it easy for people to work remotely. So then you don't have this problem, right? Like if they really need to get something done, they just stay at home, they work, they get it done, they come into the office to have their meetings and to socialize, right? Do that company culture well, thing. And it's not even work at home, right? Like or work remote. Everybody's gonna have that sweet spot where they, they can work really well at. I remember when I was in college, I would go to the library and they have like those little study rooms way in the back and you'd close the little door and I would go in there and I would be like super productive. So I think it's just because of cloud though, anybody can do that. You go work and be productive where you are most productive at. Yes. I will agree 100% with that. Yeah, no one policy is going to work for everybody. Just just the one that gets the most work done. Well, David, this was fun. Great talking to you. That's all the news for this week. If somebody wants to get in touch with you, where should they find you? Uh, Twitter's the easiest, at David Leary. And how would people get a hold of you, Blake? I'm at Blake T. Oliver, or you can connect with me on LinkedIn. I'm actually finding that I'm really liking LinkedIn these days. I feel like a lot of traffic has moved from Facebook over to LinkedIn and they've they've kind of improved things. So I, li- I like it. Yeah, I've been using LinkedIn a lot more as well because I can't follow anybody else on Twitter. And you're right now, Facebook, tool, third-party, actually that's news this week we should have covered. Apparently, if you have third-party tools that post to Facebook, that API has been turned off. Yeah, for posting to personal accounts. You can't do that anymore yeah. via like yeah. Buffer or via, um, whatchamacallit, uh, Hootsuite. You have to go in and manually do it. Yeah, or even other tools. Like I use a, a contact management software. Like So I, now I have to become a brand. So I'm going to have to go create a Facebook page. Like, And I'm going to have to hit everybody up. Be a fan of David Leary. And you have to be a fan so I have a business It's not page. even, I'll tell you, I'll tell you, just from running the social media here at Flowcast, it's not worth it. Like so our Facebook page, you know, I post something on there. It doesn't go in anyone's feed. We have to pay money for people to see it. It's It's all pay to play. Like and, and LinkedIn isn't, which is nice. Yeah, I think that's true with Intuit Developer, and this is why I post things to mine because it gets more eyeballs and clicks. Yeah, and now they're going to stop you from doing that because I guess people were abusing it, right? So, and I know you weren't, but I think like a oh bunch, wow, <laughs> no, you weren't. Like, but there were yeah. a bunch of brands that were out there that had created personal accounts that were just posting stuff to get around this issue. So I, don't know, I think Facebook is in trouble. Certainly, they were when they they lost. What uh, was it this week that they lost uh, the 
greatest amount of capitalization or value of any company in history. Yeah, it, it, it was. I don't know what the number, but it was completely ridiculous. It was mind-boggling numbers. Right? Like, like I got it's billions and billions of dollars in shareholder value erased because of their uh, poor earnings report for Q2. And that was all because of uh, the changes that they made to their algorithm uh, because of all the fake news stuff. So um, it's interesting because it shows the price that 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 you you know social media pays at least with their business model of advertising, which LinkedIn doesn't have that problem because uh, the way LinkedIn makes most of its money isn't I don't believe it is through advertising. It's through people like salespeople paying for premium accounts so they can go prospect, which is good. Because then the newsfeed stays pure, right? Or stays authentic. Mm-hmm. Anyway. No, definitely. Just, that'd, be uh, a whole, that'd be a whole other podcast one day. My little rant on social media for everybody. Awesome. Hey, Blake, I'll let you go and we'll talk next week. <laughs> talk to you later. All right, bye.